It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law, featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney and a partner at the law firm at Malkin Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys who focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. To learn more about us, go to maukbaker.com, that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call 312-726-1243. Rules against discrimination might seem like a good thing, but how are they also creating potential harm? Today, I'll be speaking with Reed Smith, Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society Center for Law and Religious Freedom, where he helped to defend and advance religious freedom in many cases. Recently, Reed discussed the problems with the American Bar Association's newly adopted and controversial rule on behalf of the Christian Legal Society. Uh, Reed, welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. Thank you for having me. I, I think this may be your third time on the show which is an indication of, of the kind of work that you're doing and how important it is. I particularly asked you to come on the show to talk about this American Bar Association uh, new ethics rule, because I think that it has uh, certainly an implication for me as a lawyer in what I can and cannot say and represent, uh, particularly my Christian calling, but I think it has a much broader implication for our whole society. So I wanted to bring you on to discuss it. Uh, last night, you were in a debate where the other side didn't show up um, with regard to this, what's called Rule 8.4G. Um, tell us a little bit about the rule, and um, you might even start by just giving us what the rule is. All right. So uh, Rule 8.4G is a new rule, as you mentioned, from the American Bar Association, uh, which makes it a pro professional misconduct for a lawyer to engage in conduct that the lawyer knows or reasonably should know as harassment or discrimination on the basis of race, sex, religion, national origin, ethnicity, disability, age, sexual orientation, gender identity, marital status, or socioeconomic status in conduct related to the practice of law. And uh, then it has a few... Uh, caveats there, but that's that's the heart of the rule. Well, you know, uh, so right away we hear that there is this uh, conflict coming up between a very important topic in our society, which is discrimination, and free thought. So, right. so this Christian Legal Society is opposed to this rule as it has been passed. Um, why don't you break down why? Uh, your the society is opposed to it. What the dangers of it are, and what its broader implications might be. Right. Well, there are a few uh, few aspects of it that are particularly dangerous. So, uh, it's aimed at uh, pre preventing offensive speech, which I think we all agree offensive speech can be a bad thing, but that the the cure for offensive speech is no speech and that's that's much worse than having offensive speech we we all agree to that that was a uh, long settled american principle including you know supreme court upheld allowing the the nazis to uh march through a, a jewish settlement in illinois skokie illinois which is not far from us uh that was Miller versus Skokie, I think was the name right. of the case. I, I was actually at that hearing for that trial. And and 
deeply offended by the speech that the Nazis were doing in that. In fact, what they did was they would march into the center of the uh, town of Skokie, which was a largely Jewish population. And then they would begin their, their uh, speeches and everything like that. And it was reminiscent of what the Nazis did in World War II as they conquered Poland and other uh, countries. They would march into the square and then round up all the Jews and kill them. So there was obviously very, very offensive uh, speech intended by Miller. Right. Why did the court want to uphold that speech? It seems like it's a horrible thing. Right. But I, I think the main issue there is what is the cure to to preventing offensive speech, and it's and it's not allowing speech at all, which is dangerous because one of the things that's important is for each person to have the liberty to be able to to speak their mind, to be able to. Um, talk to others. And, and because if you don't allow people to express their views through speech, a lot of times what happens is they end up expressing their views other ways. And, and that's, that's not healthy for society as well. So what you're really saying there in some ways is there's got to be debate, or if there's no debate, then it's not that the issues will go away, but the way to resolve the problem will probably turn to violence or other other matters. Right, and and, and that's an essential part of being a, fr a free country is, uh, I mean, one of the differences between the United States and, and some of these uh, other countries that are oppressive is that there's no way for people to speak their minds and to let their voices be heard by the government. I think I'm also alarmed at this trend of more and more wanting to uh, control the narrative. Right. And and so that only one position can be heard and only one idea can be uh, expressed. I think we call that political correctness. And so what you're really saying here is this um, Rule 8.4G is a politically correct attempt to control lawyer speech. Is that correct? I think that that's right because the uh, rule makes it uh, an offense to say something that's not not only just harmful, which is one of the comments to the rule, but also just derogatory or demeaning. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker, the law firm of Mauk and Baker. If you're just tuning in, make sure to visit MaukBaker.com to hear the rest of this interview. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook and Twitter for legal updates with a biblical perspective. Today, I'm speaking with Reed Smith, Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society Center for Law and Religious Freedom. And we've been talking about a American Bar Association rule, uh, which really uh, has the effect of um, restricting the free speech of lawyers and, and shutting down half of the debate. Why does it matter? To the rest of, of this country, that there may be a problem uh, shutting down some of the debate that lawyers have. Right. Well, I, I think it's it, it's very important because lawyers uh, have an important role in, in helping people to to speak for themselves. And so, when you and for example, almost half of the Congress is are people who are lawyers, and they uh, help people sort through conflict. And so, if you, you if you limit a lawyer's ability to speak, you're not only limiting his, his ability to speak for himself, you're limiting his ability to speak for his client. And that one of the important aspects of law is that a lawyer needs to be a zealous advocate for his client. So how could this affect, let's say, my speech? I represent a lot of um, Christian um, churches. I represent a lot of not-for-profits. I represent various people who have various 
moral concerns in our society uh, who are uh, pro-life and other things. How could how could a rule like this affect us? Right. So uh, two of the protected classes uh, are gender identity and sexual orientation. And we know that, that many religious groups uh, have rules uh, against uh, same-sex marriage or, or against uh, identifying as some, someone other than your uh, biological birth because, uh, because that's a part of their faith. People believe that uh, God uh, made people certain ways and, and believe that God ordered society in certain ways. So if you're representing a church uh, and you say, for example, that same-sex uh, marriage is wrong, and this can uh, one of the important parts of the rule is uh, it expands the rule to all practice related to all, all conduct related to the practice of law. So it's not just while you're being a, a lawyer for somebody, it's also while you're speaking at social events. So that's expressly included in the comments to the rule or you're speaking to the bar. So when you're giving advice, you have to, you have to self censure so that you're avoiding saying something that uh, someone may find, uh, may find offensive, including saying, well, Yes, church, you have a religious right to uh, limit uh, limit your membership or limit your leadership anyway to people of your of your religious faith. Well, so let's say a, a very practical situation that comes up. I get a, I get I've had calls this week. Um, I am concerned about the issue of sexuality, and I would like to um, be more explicit in my bylaws with regard to the church's policies towards sexuality. Could I, as an attorney that was representing somebody and, and going and giving them a presentation, could this rule affect my ability to do that? It could. So the the people who would advocate for the rule say would say that it has a it has an exception for legitimate advocacy, which it defines as uh, says the paragraph does not preclude legitimate advice or advocacy consistent with these rules. Uh, so it's kind of a circular argument that well. Where you can make legitimate advocacy as long as you aren't breaking this rule. That's not much of a safe harbor. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the problems that I, as an attorney, have with this. Is it's sort of a well, trust me, we won't uh, violate this rule, but we don't have any real limits to what we can do. Right, and and especially if for people of religious faith. Uh, so, for example, Dennis Rendleman, who was the chief counsel of the ethics committee that helped get this uh, rule passed. Was spoke about how religious people don't don't respect their victims of their sincerely held religious beliefs, and so when he's talking about people being victims of, of religious belief, uh, he's certainly putting a thumb on the scale against r religious speech. Yes, if if I had read that and knew that he was sitting on the panel now judging me for having uh, represented that particular church or given them uh, uh, counsel with regard to sexuality, that would certainly uh, cause me to be concerned about the outcome. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, and, and we're going to run out of time here, but I'm thinking of the uh, Baker's case uh, where the panel that was listening and judging him for a violation of, of their human rights uh, actually had very similar views. So um, what I'd like to do here is we need to take a break. Coming up, we will talk further with Reed Smith, Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society, Center for Law and Religious Freedom. And we'll be talking about the ABA's problematic rule uh, with regard to lawyers' speech. I'm Rich Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus.
Have you ever thought of Jesus as a lawyer? Sometimes he used the law to make a difference, and so must we. In Jesus in the Courtroom, John Mock shows you how you can engage the legal system for the good of his world. Jesus in the Courtroom shows you how to get involved in issues like abortion, religious freedom, and much more. If you're concerned for your community, read Jesus in the Courtroom. More at JesusInTheCourtroom.com. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney at Malkin Baker, a law firm that is based in Chicago and serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. If you missed the first part of this show and want to listen online, go to malkbaker.com forward slash radio. Today, I'm speaking with Reed Smith, Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society's Center for Law and Religious Freedom. And we've been talking about a rule called Rule 8.4G, which has been passed by the American Bar Association. And it is a rule that uh, has a lot of problems with it that we've been talking about. It's a rule that that really highlights the um, friction between free speech and some of the discrimination laws that are now being um, passed for the United States. Um, Reed, welcome back. Let's just start. We had left the break and we were talking a little bit about what's the problem uh, with this rule and and uh, and the bias that is built into it because of its vagueness. Give us a little more background on that. Right. So, uh, so when we talk about protected speech, there are several constitutional factors to consider. So one, for example, as you just mentioned, is vagueness. So in, that's a due process issue where if you're going to say that you can be punished for something, and in this case, if you violate the rule, you can lose your bar license. So you can lose your ability to practice law after you spent several years and, and a lot of money practice, studying for the practice of law. Several years? I've, I've been in it since 1980. That's a lot of years. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. And uh, so in order to uh, in order to punish somebody fairly, you have to make it clear what it is that they're being punished for and so that they can avoid that punishment. Well, in this case, the punishment comes for offending someone, I believe. Is that is that really what's going on here? So that's that's true to some extent, except uh, one of the changes in this rule from from how it had been is it changes the standard from you knowingly. Uh, manifest bias to you know or you should have known, in which case your your standard is not the one that the disciplinary panel is looking at. In fact, they they create their own standard. And one of the uh, one of the dangerous things about this is it can even be if you didn't offend the person that you're talking to and somebody else heard it, the the disciplinary panel can say, oh well, this was offensive. And so it hurts lawyers in general, even if it wasn't offensive to the person that you were speaking to. So I think in your uh, discussion, one of the examples that came up was somebody refers to somebody else as an old codger. Right. Well, there's actually uh, a discrimination provision in there for age. So by making that reference, even if the person you were talking to, and, and between you and I, I'm the old codger here, <laughs> by the way. Uh, if you would referred to me as an old codger, and, and I took it at... Uh, as a affectionate term, if somebody else was in the audience and didn't, right. they might make a complaint. Is that what you're referring that, to? That's right. They they could say that uh, what I said uh, reflected bias towards people on the basis of age. All right. Now, 
you know, people might say, well, this is fanciful. That's not really going to happen. Have, have you ever seen cases come up that are like this? Yeah. So that, so uh, one of the th- funny things about this is the defenses are both, yes, this is necessary, and being we'll never use it. Uh, so, but on the we'll never use it, and actually represented an attorney uh, in Alaska who was representing a battered women's shelter. Uh, that shelter turned away a, a transgendered woman who is biologically a man. Uh, and there were several reasons for doing so, including the fact uh, that she was uh, perceptively drunk. Uh, but the lawyer, while representing them, uh, said our, the, this group's policy is to, uh, that it won't accept biological men because we represent battered women. We help battered women who have a history of violence with men. And when he said that, the uh, Anchorage Equal Rights Commission brought charges against him for what they said was uh, advertising a discriminatory policy. So while that wasn't a bar association per se, it does show that there are officials who, and she was a lawyer, uh, there, there are officials who will bring these types of charges against people. Well, I think two things come up when you say that. I'm also thinking there's an Indiana example with regard oh. to an attorney uh, and if I remember, was ordering something over the phone. Is that right? Right. So there was there was a case out of Indiana where uh, a couple uh, was receiving several calls from a, a solicitor, so from a telemarketer, uh, on their unlisted line. And while she was trying to uh, get rid of them, she uh, said, "Hey, I'm a lawyer. Uh, the person you're calling is, is my client, who was her husband." And uh, I'd like you to stop calling. And when uh, she, uh, when the person responded, he, they had an effeminate voice, and she said, "Oh, are you gay?" And the person took offense at that and reported it to the bar. And that uh, lawyer was disciplined. I think she was uh, suspended for a short time. So what I'm hearing in these is, depending on who the panel is and what their own um, agendas are, this could be very, very speech threatening to those who disagree with whatever the panel's agenda is. Right. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's one of the other uh, challenges of this is is it's overbreadth. So even if a lawyer uh, isn't challenged under it, lawyers will self-censure themselves so that they avoid even having the risk of being brought up on uh, disciplinary charges. I think the term used for that is chilled speech. Correct. And and that's also something that uh, in the past our courts have protected. Um, right. when, when the effect of a particular rule is to chill speech even before it's been made. So um, I want to come back to that. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker of the law firm of Malkin Baker, and we're talking with Reed Smith, Director of Litigation for the Christian Legal Society Center for Law and Religious Freedom. We've been talking about a what I would call a politically correct rule that the uh, American Bar Association has passed and with its effect on lawyers, including myself. But Reed, this is broader than that, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so so it's broader in several ways. One is uh, even if you just uh, even if you just belong to a group that's perceived as discriminatory. So if you're a lawyer and you go to a Catholic church, uh, that could be in itself a, a violation. Uh, but it's also broad- no. All right, all right. Let's just break this down. For that seems extreme. 
What's the problem with that? Oh, well, because you're associating with your, yourself with a group that discriminates on the basis of, of numerous protected classes here, or, or at least arguably does. So, for example, because the Catholic Church does not recognize same-sex marriage and you're associating yourself with, with a group that doesn't uh, recognize same-sex marriage, then that could be viewed as uh, derogatory or demeaning conduct. So, in many ways, the offenses or, or the uh, the charges that you hold a position or or making a statement that's offensive to another group, and on that basis, um, you can be disciplined. Right, and and it's even a little bit more devious than that because the rule also expressly accepts certain types of offensive speech. So it says if you're making offensive speech on behalf of underrepresented clients, then that's fine. If you're making uh, offensive speech but in support of diversity or inclusion, then that's fine. Uh, but it's not, uh, it's not fine if you make uh, offensive speech that we don't like. Yeah, I, I think that's the, the trend in our culture, not just with regard to lawyers, but other professionals. And there's a great pressure for people not to speak up uh, because they're afraid. Right. And this is just one more example of that. Has the Supreme Court said anything about this kind of speech? Uh, yes. So the Supreme Court actually recently in an eight to nothing decision, so it was unanimous, affirmed that offensive speech uh, is constitutional. This was a ca the case involving a band uh, that was Asian and their name was the Slants. And uh, the trademark office wanted to deny them a trademark on the basis of offensiveness. And the Supreme Court uh, unanimously overruled that decision. What was what what was the reasoning that the Supreme Court gave for that? Why? So, well, the Supreme Court uh, basically said in that case that uh, that viewpoint discrimination is considered one of the most egregious forms of speech control because you're not even saying a topic is off limits. You're saying people can talk about this topic, but you can't express a certain view on a topic. And it has said offensiveness can be a form of viewpoint. So, so as a as a Christian attorney. One of the things that I hear in this is, if the gospel is offensive, then it's off limits. And, and uh, professional organizations and society can begin to limit my ability to um, speak the gospel because it offends somebody else. Well, that's, that's, that's absolutely right, that it's, it's, uh, it's what they view, what the disciplinary committee views as offensive. Uh, not, not even not what you necessarily or your friends view as a. Well, Reed, I knew we were going to run out of time, and it's gone really quick. I want give us a little bit of background on Christian Legal Society, what you're doing, and how anybody yep. who has an issue like this yep. might want to give you a call. So, uh, Christian Legal Society, uh, you can reach us at ChristianLegalSociety.org. Uh, we uh, are f uh, fighting for people's rights. If you have a religious liberty issue uh, and you think that you're being denied. Uh, denied your rights, uh, you can uh, look us up on, on the website and uh, we're happy to talk with you and see if we can represent you. So give me that one more time. It's ChristianLegalSociety.org uh, Thank you very much. Uh, my guess is we'll have you back again because these issues just keep coming back and yep. they are so important. If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243. That's 312-726-1243 or at maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com.
On our website, you'll find our Lawyers for Jesus podcast, and you can also subscribe to our newsletter for legal insights. Thanks for listening. I'm Rich Baker, attorney at Malkin Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus. Somebody, yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.